The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning's scripture is the reading of Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O oh Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O oh daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes the word of God startles us. Sometimes we need to be startled. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you that you're a God that we can bring our trauma to. You're a God that can handle our cries for justice. You're a God that does not run from the tears of your people, but you run to them. You're a God that has healing in store. You're a God that knows the depths of our wounds. You know the depths of our hurt and our pain. And you do not relent from chasing us. But, oh God, we react trying to put your shoes on our own feet. We act trying to be you when you've told us just cast our cares on you. And so we're wounded. And so we're hurting. And so we're damaged. We're numb to you. We're numb to life. And we need you to come by your spirit. And we need you to open our hearts to trust you. To trust you with our wounds 
to trust you with our anger, to trust you with our rage, to trust you with our loneliness, to trust you with the hurt of betrayal, to trust you, O God, with all that we confront, all that we have done, and all that's been done to us. And so, Spirit, don't leave us alone this morning. Speak through your word, words of healing. Speak through your word, words of conviction. Speak through your word so as to convince us of your truth that we might stop living a lie. Oh God, I preach as a wounded man to wounded men and women, boys and girls. But oh, you're a healer. Begin a work this morning that will well up into eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Saturday night, I sat on the porch of a good friend in Colorado and I listened. His wife left him in May after 20 years. I listened to his hurt. I listened to his anger. I I listened to him tell me that, Richard, some mornings I can't, it's all I can do to get out of bed. I make a sale. My immediate reaction is to call my wife and give her the good news, and I remember I don't have a wife. I remember I, I have a woman who I opened my life to for 20 years, and now she has no feeling for me, and she, wanna has noth- she wants to have nothing to do with me. And the psalmist feels that pain and says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Earlier that day, Rachel and I sat in the living room of good friends, and we listened to one of our friends who's probably four or five years older than us, and he's just now dealing with the hurt and the pain of abuse from his alcoholic mother when he was a young child. And with tears running down his face, he told us about her doing multiplication flashcards with him. And when he would miss one, she would choke him. And his wife, with tears in her eyes, said, Honey, you've never told me that before. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So says the psalmist. I sat with another person this week, and they told me that sometimes... Because of the grief and the loss and the pain within them, all they can do is sit in their home and scream just to let it out. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, the psalmist says. I heard the story this week of young parents in our community who were interacting with their three-year-old daughter, and that three-year-old daughter started making allusions that seemed sexual in nature. And the more they asked and the more they prodded, what is coming out is what seems to be abuse, what seems to be the manipulation of the husband of a caregiver, manipulating a three-year-old girl to perform sex acts on him. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, says the psalmist. 
Judah has been ransacked. Zedekiah, their king, had been captured and his sons brought before them. And, 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 the, and Nebuchadnezzar and his army killed his sons right before him and then poked out his eyes, took his eyes away, and then carried him into ca captivity so that the last remembrance that he would have of seeing would be the death of his own children. Women were raped. The city was pillaged. The temple destroyed. The temple objects carried away. Judah's in captivity. They're slaves in a foreign land. And they're remembering home. They're remembering that place where God is. They're remembering what used to be. They're remembering what they were created for. And they're crying out, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And dear friends, if you can't relate to that, then you are not thinking and not allowing yourself to feel. You see, the question of this psalm is, oh, how in God's word could there be uh, th these words, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. If you don't understand that kind of anger, if you don't understand that kind of longing for justice, then you're not being real. And you have bought the shallow spirituality of evangelicalism today that we're to be happy, happy, happy all the day long, that we're to have chicken soup theology that we don't have a God that can handle the reality of our anger, that can handle the reality of our justice. And he says, really? Where do you think justice came from? Why do you think it's within you? Oh, maybe because you're made in my image. You don't think God has a hunger and a longing for justice? You don't understand the cross. Oh, well, my God is a God of love. There is no love without justice. Because what God said is, I'm going to give my own son. I love you so much, I'm giving my own son because justice has to be satisfied. There is no righteousness without justice. And we all feel that. We all know that instinctively. But we don't know how to process it. You see, dear friends, if we're not running to God with the deep hurts of our pain, then we're not running to God. It's the world that has to run to their money and their sex and their cars and their trips and their jobs and, and their looks and their beauty. It's the Christian that has someone to run to. But are we running to God with what is real? Dear friends, you are not healthy if you're not running to God with your hurts and your tears. It's not that you're more holy, oh, I just don't have to express my emotions. No, it's that you're not being honest and you're emotionally immature. You have to have a real relationship with God. You have to bring all of yourself. When Jesus said, follow me, he didn't say just follow me intellectually. He meant follow me with everything that you are, mind, will, emotion, body, everything. And if we're not doing that, then we don't understand God. And I believe it's because we don't understand that we can do that, that there's so much confusion and rejection of God in our day. Because we as a church are not showing the world that our God is strong enough, that our God is capable, that our God is able to handle what has happened to us and what's happened to them. The very fulfillment of the law is not... Don't talk about your burdens. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens, and in this you fulfill the law of Christ. 
You see, the Christian is to live eyes wide open. We are to live sharing each other's burdens, and we can't share each other's burdens. We can't carry each other's burdens if we're not telling each other our burdens. Oh, I don't want to be complaining. The difference between being complaining and whining is that you are sharing it all the time because of, because of your focus on yourself. Redemptive healing is sharing your hurt and pain so that you can get healing, so that you can be some good to God and others. It's all about God and others. And we must get emotionally healthy in our day. Well, how do we do it? First, we've got to realize that God has given us something. He's given us tear ducts. <laughs> Tears are a release valve for grief, hurt, and pain, and evidence that one is in touch with God in reality. By the waters, says the psalmist, there we sat down and wept. It wasn't what some of you were doing and, you know, oh, just kind of wiping the tear. Oh, I hope they don't see me. They sat down as a community and they wept. They sat down and they corporately wept when they remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of your songs of Zion. They are mocking them. Nebuchadnezzar felt greater, bigger than their God. He destroyed their city. He destroyed the, the temple of their God. And he, they, now he's just mocking them. Oh, sing us those praise and worship songs. Sing us those hymns from of old. And the people of God are sitting and weeping. When was the last time you had a good cry? When was the last time you wept like the psalmist is describing? When was the last time you had a sermon telling you or a preacher telling you you're unhealthy unless you're crying. We, we don't deal with this in the church, but why not? It's not because we haven't experienced pain. It's not because we haven't experienced trauma. But it's because we have succumbed to the voice of society that says, strong boys don't cry. Strong girls don't cry. Tears are a sign of weakness. If you cry, you're going to get run over. If you cry, you're going to get used and abused. If you cry, you're not going to make it in this world. And the facts are that it's just the opposite. You see, if this psalm tells us anything, it models that we are to feel what has happened to us and others and not look away, and we are to cry our tears to God. We see the tears of Jesus... In John chapter 11, 35, he cried public tears. How do we know about it? Because he cried public tears as he approached the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. The scripture says Jesus wept. He didn't just give one of those, you know, it didn't say he sniffled. It said he wept. He wept. Why? Because he was engaging the emotion of the curse and a fallen world and the reality of the loss of his good friend. The word cry or cry out is found at least 30 times in the Psalms. The psalmists are crying out to God. In Psalm 32, we see what happens when we don't go to God with, with all that is in us. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Recent studies, really over the last 
I don't know, 80 to 100 years are conclusive of the Bible's wisdom here. Um, I've been reading a book entitled The Body Keeps the Score. It's an old book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body and the Healing of Trauma. And there are two things that stand out to me in that book. And the first is that when we refuse to acknowledge trauma, when we refuse to acknowledge the depth of hurt and pain in our lives, then our, our, our brains are literally rewired. Listen to this quote. In response to the trauma itself, now it, it's looking at primarily trauma of those that were in war, primarily the Vietnam War, um, and and they're, um, the, the focus of the book is PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. But so it's responding to this. And here's what we read. In response to the trauma itself and in coping with the dread that persisted long afterward, these patients had learned to shut down the brain areas that transmit the visceral feelings and emotions that accompany and define terror. So they shut themselves down to having to feel that again, the terror of whatever they experienced. Yet, in everyday life, those same brain areas are responsible for registering the entire range of emotions and sensations that form the foundations of our self-awareness, our sense of who we are. Wow. What we witnessed here was a tragic adaptation. In an effort to shut off terrifying sensations, they also deadened their capacity to feel fully alive. They didn't know who they were anymore because they shut off that portion of their brain to try to run and escape that, that, that sense and that feeling of terror again. And their brains were rewired to now they're wandering aimlessly. Drug addiction, suicide, homelessness was rampant because they weren't dealing head on with the trauma that they had experienced. And friend, it's the same for you and it's the same for me. It doesn't have to be the trauma of war. It's trauma in general. It's trauma specific to what you experience, to what I experience. It's why my, my friend who uh, experienced this horrific trauma as a child is just, just now, 50 years later, dealing with it. And he has suffered in his life, and I won't go into some of that. His relationships have suffered because he can't give himself away because he doesn't know who he is. Secondly, trauma manifests itself in some other part of the body. We think, oh, just, you know, I'm just going to tough it out. I'm just going to ignore it. No, we can't play that game. Our body literally keeps the score. Listen to this quote. After trauma, the world is experienced with a different nervous system. The survivor's energy now becomes focused on suppressing inner chaos at the expense of spontaneous involvement in their life. These attempts to maintain, maintain control over unbearable psychological reactions can result in a whole range of physical symptoms, including fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and other autoimmune diseases. This explains why it's critical for trauma treatment to engage the entire organism body, mind, and brain. Do you hear what this is saying? When we just say, well, I'm just going to tough it out, that's going to show up in your body in some way. When we refuse to do what the psalmist is doing, they are dealing with the trauma of war and the trauma of abuse. And when you don't deal with it, 
your body is going to break down. Dear friends, when was the last time you looked at your trauma face to face? You see, in our day, the stigma of counseling is being debunked, and I'm so glad about that. But, but let me just address that a bit, uh, because I have not been able to deal or, or to unpack the trauma of my life without someone else helping me and coaching me and leading me along, all right? And that's been great. But as Christians, we don't stop there. You see, the goal is not to just simply unpack it so we'll have a great story to tell other people and help other people. The purpose is to unpack it with somebody else that we might pursue healing with them and God. That we might begin to, you, you see your brain can also be re rewired in a different direction. Healing can take place. But the reason you want healing is so that you can give all of yourself to God and others. The reason that you want healing is so you can be of some good to God and others. So you're not just that wounded, broken person who is strongly trying to get through life, not dealing with the hurt and pain of their life. No, it's to serve God better. It's to love spouse better. It's to be a better friend. It's to be a better employee. It's to do your work with great health and focus. It's, do you see? It's not a me focus, it's a God focus, it's another focus, it's a healing focus. And God says, get healed. Secondly, the Christian can cry hope-filled tears. We don't just sit under the willow and cry indefinitely. We cry hope-filled tears, setting glory as, the, as, as one's highest joy. Verses 5 through 6. We're just marching through this psalm. Psalmist writes, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. I sat with my good friend Bill, and we talked about his wife leaving and we talked about the hurt and the pain, and we, we got to the end, and I, I said, Bill, here's the deal. There's no shame in your hurt. There's no shame in your pain. You weren't made for this. You weren't created for this kind of pain. You weren't created for this kind of hurt. You weren't made for a world or a relationship in which the one who entered covenant with you is becoming a covenant breaker. The one who said, uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do his part. That's what you were made for. You weren't made for that same one to say, I have no feelings for you anymore. You weren't made for this. There's no shame in your tears. There's no shame in even your depression. Of course you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. There'd be something wrong with you if you did want to get out of bed in the morning. Happy, 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 joyful all the day long. I said, you weren't made for that. But let me tell you something. You were made for something glorious. And it's coming. And His name is Jesus. That's who you were made for. You see, dear friends, here's the reality. We can cry with hope and tears. Because notice, this psalmist, if I forget, oh, you, oh Jerusalem, what was Jerusalem? The place where God was, the temple. It's, it's the, the presence of God. 
So I have to set Jerusalem above my highest joy. It's not, oh, I need to get counseling so I can be successful in my life. No, I need to get counseling. I need to work uh, this out. I need to get to the root of my junk so that I can live with my highest joy being on glory and not being controlled by the trauma and the hurt of my past. Because that's the reality. That's what that junk does. We are frozen right there. And we got to become unfrozen so we can be frozen to glory. And that's the purpose of it. To live as a believer in this strong, in this fallen world, we have to understand biblical theology. What, what, why are we starting Sunday school? in September? Why are we, why do we preach the Bible? Why do we encourage you to read your Bible? Because here's the reality, unless the Bible's framework of creation, fall, redemption, unless you understand what the Bible is about, unless that's not just an app somewhere in your brain, but it is your operating system, the operating system of your brain, when you are experience the trauma like these uh, Judeans did and, 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 uh, of war and, and horrific, you know, seeing their king, um, seeing his sons be executed in front of them and having his eyes poked out and then sent to battle. Unless you, you know, unless, you know, you as a parent have a biblical theology of creation, fall, and redemption, when you get that news about your daughter, when you realize that someone is, is violating your three-year-old daughter, you are going to, you're going to have no category. You're going to have no framework. You're going to have no, no, no foundation to deal with it. You're going to have no foundation to deal when your spouse leaves you when your children abandon you and reject you. You're not going to have a foundation. The operating system of our lives, and this is developed from the time we become believers, uh, even before for covenant children, that's a whole other conversation, but, and, and forward, is we have to be pouring ourselves into what is true, creation, fall, redemption. What do I mean by that? We were created by God. Think of it like this. We were created by God and, and, and God goes through creation. Read um, Genesis 1 and 2, and God looks back on His creation, and He says, Ah, oh, it is very good. But there was one thing not good, and we see that in chapter 2, and what was not good was the fact that the man was alone. And so He created Eve, took a rib, fashioned Eve, gave this, uh, this fellow human being, like but unlike him, and he rejoices, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So we're created for God and community. We can't know God without another. This is all before the fall. We were created for God, and we can't know God without each other. And so we have to have community. And marriage is an incredible blessing and part of that or can be part of that, and should be part of that if you're married. See, we were made in God's image, we read in Genesis 1.31. In the image of God, He made us. Male and female, He created us. That tells us so much about ourselves. We were made by God for God. We weren't, we weren't created to find ultimate purpose in each other, but we were to... His creation around us is there that we might look through it and be drawn to Him. 
I spent last week in Colorado, and you know how much I love Colorado if you've been here for, at downtown church for 30 seconds. I'm sorry I talk about it too much. But I was in Colorado all last week, but I was in a room pretty much, or in a building from early morning to late at night. But I would position myself to look out the window, and I, I, I took a picture from my iPhone, literally. So that looks like a postcard. iPhone sitting at a table during a meeting when I should have been paying attention. Um, and I, I had a week listening, engaging, but really meditating. What is it about that? Why am I drawn to that? Why when I, when I get my plate you know, for lunch, I sit down so I can look right there? Why am I always doing this when I'm talking to somebody? Why? Because it's like, creation is like this. When you throw a, a rock in a, in, a, in a pond and those ripples go out, the ripples are indications of something in the middle, something that, that is bigger, weightier. And that's what that mountain is. That mountain is an outer ripple telling Richard Reeves that there is someone so grand. There is someone so magnificent I, it, it makes me want to go hike or mountain bike or find a stream and fly fish or if it were winter, I'd want to ride a lift up and ski down it. Why am I drawn to this? Because I'm really drawn to God and that is nothing compared to the grand one. That is only a tiny ripple compared to the glorious one that I was really made for. And here's the problem as we go into the second phase, the fall. If I believe that that is home, I'm miserable. It will kill me. It will not satisfy me. It will leave me empty. Why? Because it was not made to fulfill me. It was made to draw me to the glorious God. Do you see that, dear friends? That is what life is about. That's what your spouse is about. That's what your children are about. That's what your job is about. It's what your money's about. It's what your house is about. It's what your, your body's about. It is there that you might enjoy, but oh, that you might look through it and know, oh yeah, oh, there's a better lover. Oh, there's a better lover. There's better community. And then... There's redemption. I, I didn't spend a lot of time on the fall. I probably should, but man, we live that every day. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many troubles. I, I see people today turning their back on God because typically when I talk to somebody and they don't believe in God, instead of giving some grandiose apologetic for the existence of God, here's what I go for. I want to find out what's happened to them. I want to hear, I typically say, tell me your story. I'll tell you mine. And as we sit and we listen, and I share my, if I'm vulnerable and I share the hurts and pains of my life, they start being vulnerable, sharing the hurts and pains of their life. And what typically comes out, not every time, but what typically comes out is, how can I follow a God that allowed that to happen to me? You see it? And we all, if you don't know, if that question hasn't welled up in you, you're not thinking, or just wait. Because something's coming. Because Jesus said, in this life, you won't just have a couple of troubles, you'll have many troubles. So how do we get through it? Redemption. We know we were created for more. We know this world isn't going to satisfy us, yet we know we're going to look to the world to satisfy us, and we're going to suffer. But where's the hope? Redemption. Jesus came to announce Jesus didn't come 
only to live under the law. And this is glorious. You know how much I love the doctrine of justification. He lived under the law, fulfilled it in our place, that went uh, to the cross and became our sin for us so that He might be punished that we might not be, so that now God is dancing over us with joy. But He did so because of his, His kingdom that is present and yet to come. Dear friends, we should live life like the most, anticipating uh, like the most glorious vacation ever, the most glorious trip ever, the thing we long for the most. Maybe it's marriage, maybe it's children, maybe it's a trip, I don't know. But that's what we were made for, to look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and He makes this world new. The old order of things done, the new order of things ushered in under the kingship of the glorious King Jesus. And it's not some impersonal thing where we can just go about our business and live unmindful of God, but it's so tender that, that uh, God tells us in Revelation 21, I will wipe every tear from your eye. Instead of your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your sister or your brother or your friend having to go get you a, a napkin or a Kleenex, and it's God himself that will literally come and wipe those tears and say no more. Ever. Because it's you and me. It's you and us. No more death. No more crying. No more pain. And dear friends, because we get everything in glory, we can give up anything now. That's what Paul's argument is in 1 Corinthians 15. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Right. If the dead are not raised, live like most of the church is living. I'm not even talking about the world. Most of the church today is saying, well, I, my God, He just wants me to be happy. He loves me and he, he wants me to express my identity any way I want to. And, and I can get up any, you know, I can amass any amount of debt I want to. And I don't really have to tithe. And I, I you know, He wants to bless me with a new car more than He wants. It's craziness. It is utter craziness. Because the Bible tells us, oh yeah, you were created for hope, but oh, you're fallen, and you're going to get that all mixed up. You're going to look to the things of the world to please you, and they're just not going to do it, because only God and His kingdom can and will. But oh, there's a God, and there's a kingdom, and He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And He's coming to redeem you. And therefore, when Jesus said, follow me, He's saying, follow me into the life of my kingdom. Follow me into joy. If I tell you no, it's for your good and for your joy because to tell you yes is to stifle your joy and to bring harm to you. And so trust me and look forward to the coming kingdom. You see, I love this aspect of God's message to um, His people in exile. It, what we see is that, you know, and I've been saying that, it, you know, it's, it's good and healthy that they sat on the bank and, and they wept. But God wasn't just, God didn't want them to just stay there. That's part of it. But we see in Jeremiah 29, listen to these words. And he's speaking to a people that he is calling to be healthy, to trust him, to, to follow him, to worship him. 
to bring their trauma to him, to bring their hurts to him, to bring their cares to him. This is what he says. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah 29, 4. I don't remember if I gave that to you, Matthew, or not. Yeah, I did. All right. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray that the, uh, to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And dude, we could spend weeks on that. But in the context of where we are today, do you see it? Get healthy. Weep before God, lament before God, so that you can declare, this place is not my home, Jerusalem's my home, but this is a place where I still live for the glory of God. And so I can be blessed, even in exile, but it's not Jerusalem, it's not glory. And then thirdly and lastly, healing comes as we bring our deepest hurt to God. Sounds like I'm repeating myself. Well, I am. The last few verses. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. Okay, do you, who are they quoting here? They're quoting the Babylonians. These are words they remember hearing, maybe as as young adults, maybe as teenagers, maybe as children. They remember sitting in their homes with their doors, you, you know, locked, hearing the commands of the commanders, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundation. Can you imagine the terror? Knowing you're defenseless. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you've done to us. You see, they bashed the heads of their children with rocks. That was common practice of of any oppressor, of any uh, uh, conqueror. They would come into the city, they would come into the town, and and to utterly, emotionally, in every way, defeat their enemy, they would uh, bash the heads of the children with stones. They um, would take the women as their own, make just humiliating and shaming the men, and even torturing the men. And thus, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Let me unpack this just for a second. A couple things. The first is this. Notice how it begins. Remember, O Lord. There was a moment when I received a phone call from one of my daughters And she told me what someone had just done to her, and I was literally in my car going to take revenge. If you can't understand the rage of injustice, but notice what the psalmist is doing. That's not what he's doing. He's not even saying, let it be us. Blessed be the one who does this. But he's going to God 
and trusting God. What he's doing, here's the, here's the torture, part of the torture of trauma, part of the torture of things happening to us and those we love, is it places us in, in a position of being utterly out of control. And so we want to grasp for that control by fighting back, by seeking revenge. This is not revenge. This is going to God for justice and retribution. There's a huge difference between Richard taking revenge on someone who hurt his daughter to Richard getting on his knees before God and saying, God, why, 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 why won't you let me go do this? But, oh God, I trust you. Why won't you let me take this man's neck in my hand? Oh, but I trust you. I have no right over life. Your wisdom is greater than my wisdom. Your understanding is better than my understanding. There's coming a day of reckoning. There's coming a day when your wrath is poured out on the wicked. Do you see it? Those are two radically different things. One is completely godless, and one is so faithful and tender, and it's where we must live. That's what Romans 12 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Oh, that doesn't seem fair, does it? Not if you've been mad enough. Not if you've been hurt deeply enough. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To trust God... To know that He reigns on His throne and He is not silent. That He is indeed our warrior. That's what He says in Exodus 15.3. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. That's what, he told, that's what Moses told the people of God in Exodus uh, 14. As they are trapped at the Red Sea, uh, being pursued by Pharaoh's army, Moses says this to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He, he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Dear friends, that is the essence of faith. How in the world can we trust a God who seems to be doing nothing in the midst of our trauma and our hurt, who doesn't seem to have been there to protect us when we were violated or protect those we love? How can we trust a God like that? Because He is a God and the only God who subjected Himself to suffering. This is what separates our God from all other gods, one of the many things is that the Lord Jesus came, He was humbled and lived as a man in this world. He lived homeless. He had nowhere to lay His head. He was accused of things He did not do. And yet, He allowed Himself to be judged for those things. To not give a defense because His mission was much larger. He allowed Himself to take the injustice of our sins against Him upon Himself and receive willingly the verdict of guilty, even carrying His own cross as far as He could and being nailed to that cross and having His own Father betray Him 
on the cross as sin and pour out all His just wrath and anger upon Him. And dear friends, do you understand that it was your sin that held Him there? You want to talk about injustice, the cross is the most unjust reality in all of the cosmos. He became sin so that you might become the very righteousness of God. How can we hold ourselves back? How can we get up again after suffering? How can we be vulnerable with, vulnerable with our community? Because we have one who suffered and died but who rose and who's coming back again and there will be a day of no trauma. There'll be a day of no abuse. There'll be a day of no injustice. And it's real. So dear friends, as we come to the table this morning, I want us to, I'm going to have elders and community group leaders on the side over here. If there is something that you simply want to tell somebody, or if you just want prayer, I ask you just to, to go. We have opened and openly said this numerous times, if you would like to process the trauma of your life, if you would like someone to walk with you, whether it be a counselor or an elder or um, a community group leader, um, if you don't have the money for counseling, we will help you. Please tell us. Reach out to me. Reach out to Michael. It is imperative for the glory of God in the midst of His people at Downtown Church that we become healthy. And you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. We must walk with each other as we cry out to God. And there is help. There is help. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the healing that comes in You. We thank You that You are King and Head of Your church. And we give ourselves to You. Lord, I pray for the one that feels so isolated, maybe paralyzed by shame of what's been done to them or maybe what they've done to another. I pray that you would free them this morning. I pray for the one who, who may feel so dirty and despised. Lord, I pray that if not this morning, sometime soon, you would bring them out of hiding and know there are people that love them that there are people that will understand and people that will walk with them. Lord God, I pray that you would teach us more and more what it means to cry out to you, to weep, and yet to live with such set parameters of creation, fall, redemption, theology that, that we don't give up and we press forward until that day. Oh God, would you heal us? Heal our shame, heal our guilt, heal our brokenness, heal our wounds. Father, pour out your love on this body this morning, we beg. And meet us at these tables. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.